This week on Emerge Mobile First, a conversation with Maria Seidman, CEO and co-founder of Yap. Yap is really because of our users. I mean, what I love to see is the apps that our, our users create using the platform. What I love to see is the fact that our technology is really democratizing. So, you know, we had apps for the inauguration, but we also had apps for, you know, the Women's March. Welcome to Mobile First. You'll find bonus tools, expanded information, and key takeaways on our website, EmergeMobileFirst.com. For a quick and effective way to level up your mobile strategy, again, that's EmergeMobileFirst.com. In this episode, we explore scaling an app business with our guest, Maria Seidman. We'll discuss how she went from being a VP at Warner Brothers to founding a mobile app business of her own, Yap. We'll explore how she went about validating the concept in early 2011 to then scaling to where it is now, taking a closer look at the hurdles that they navigated along the way. Maria Seidman is the CEO and co-founder of Yap, an award-winning platform where anyone can create and instantly publish a mobile application for their event. Before founding Yap in 2011, she ran mobile for Warner Brothers. She lives in New York City with her husband and two children, one of which was born while launching Yap. She is passionate about women in technology, mobile trends, media, and entrepreneurship. Simon was named Entrepreneur Magazine's Emerging Entrepreneur of 2014. She has a BA from Yale and an MBA from Stanford. Maria, thanks so much for, uh, for joining us today. I'm really excited to have you here. And to kick things off, uh, what are you most passionate about in your profession? Well, Jordan, first off, thanks for having me on your show. Really excited to be here um, and talk mobile. Uh, and I guess, you know, I'm passionate about a lot of things, but I think I'm most passionate these days about making software that users love to use and enhance their lives. And it's as simple as that. And so then can you maybe walk us through what, you know, created this passion of yours? Because you kind of jumped around a little bit from Goldman Sachs in the financial industry to Warner Brothers and MGM to now being the founder of an app business. I think it really started from my own frustration that I didn't know how to code and I didn't know how to make technology. I was a consumer of technology. I was a student of technology and um, digital trends that were affecting my industry, uh, which was entertainment and media at the time. But I really started Yap out of my own frustration with not having the technical skills to be able to create a mobile app for a use case that was important to me, which was a, a women's retreat. And so I think that's really what started off that whole journey. Gotcha. So can you maybe talk about what inspired this app specifically then? Because you just mentioned a women's retreat and uh, maybe walk through the use case that you know, kind of launched you headfirst into this venture? There are a bunch of women from my business school who were getting together and, you know, having a retreat as we did every year. And uh, it was, you know, 2010, actually. And, you know, mobile had started uh, 2007, the iPhone came out. Um, but all of my friends were on their phones and had a variety of apps. And I found our way of communicating and organizing this event was incredibly frustrating email. Some people were on Facebook, some people weren't on Facebook. Um, and it felt like having a dedicated mobile app would be the best way to really, you know, stay in touch and, and communicate and collaborate for this particular event. 
but that's not something that I could have done on my own. And it would be absolutely ridiculous to hire, you know, a developer or an IT person or, um, you know, even somebody on, you know, Elance, it was Elance at the time, I think, to create an app for this kind of use case. So it really started with finding, trying to find a solution to my own problem instead of, you know, wanting to solve it just for me, I decided I wanted to solve it for a lot of other people as well. Yeah. And so, you know, technology is typically a large investment of not only time, but capital to, to get to, you know, build the back end and, and make it so that it can scale with users and, and a bunch of different things, a bunch of different components. And so did you try to go out and find a solution first? Or at what point did you decide that it's worth the investment uh, to go out and create your own? Yes. I mean, at first I researched if there were any options out there for me as a non-technical person to be able to create an app you know, for an event that was affordable and really easy to do and something that was you know, easy to share with my friends. Um, so I did research. I did a lot of research, actually, um, and there wasn't really anything out there that fit my needs. And the problem lay in that it, it wasn't worth it to create a back end and a front end and, you know, a whole solution just to solve my one problem. You know, so instead, the, the business idea that it sparked was, you know, to create a whole platform that would generate apps for this type of use case, which didn't warrant it. They, they didn't have a, you know, return on investment in terms of creating your own dedicated app and spending, you know, at that time, it was, you know, thousands upon thousands of dollars for app development, you know, so it didn't make sense to create your own dedicated app. So the business opportunity was re- really creating a platform where these kind of template-based, sometimes disposable, um, easy to create and distribute apps you know, could be made by people that didn't know anything about technology or design, but had that end use case that I had as well. Gotcha. Okay. And so then you identified this opportunity and this problem. And then what was next? How did you validate this problem? Did, did you, you know, pass the idea around your, your women's retreat group? Or how did you take it to that next step to validate that it was worth, you know, assembling the team and, and taking this on? Yeah, I mean, it did. I did lots of different experiments um, in terms of, you know, trying to figure out whether this was um, something that was uh, a market need or not. You know, I went to various uh, events, um, like, for example, the beginning of Yap, weddings seemed to be a use case um, that was also, you know, in line with the same kind of criteria. So, you know, I would go to like wedding vendor shows and, you know, instead of paying for a booth, I would, you know, just on the sly, walk around and talk to potential brides, you know, about their problems and how they communicate and whether a website was enough or, um, you know, I do a lot of market research that way. I got kicked out of a few of them. (laughs) I would do, I would do research at Starbucks with, you know, a prototype on my phone. You know, I also got kicked out of my neighborhood Starbucks. Um, I finally could like go back now management's changed. So yeah, I mean, I validated a lot, both um, in terms of my own network, um, but also just, you know, trying to hone in on some of the use cases and some of, you know, the people planning um, the type of events that we thought would be uh, good for YAP. You know, I also, uh, in a parallel process, decided that, you know, I needed a partner to be able to build such a platform, you know, because again, that non-technical problem, you know, so 
I spent a you know a lot of time looking for a technical co-founder, um, you know, and then looking for my my early team or people that had expertise that I didn't have, so that we could actually you know go and build something like this. You know, and I think there's something to be said for the route that you took because oftentimes when someone's interested in investing into a mobile app or a mobile strategy, they are just jumping into building it and then wanting the strategy to kind of keep up with it. And it sounds like you took the really lean method approach and assembled uh, a clickable prototype to put on your phone to where you can go out into the market. How long did it take from the inception of the idea to get something out to test it and validate it? And can you walk us through those steps and maybe some of the programs or methods you used? Sure. Um, I think when I started, I wasn't as lean as I wanted to be. I think, you know, I did start pushing forward with the idea, but it took like a long time to assemble all the pieces, like a designer to make the actual prototype, you know, for me and a a technical co-founder. But some of the methods that we, you know, either use then or have evolved to use today. And some of the, you know, history is a bit mushy in my own mind too, is, you know, when we started implementing you know, what type of approach we definitely tried to get leaner over time as the whole lean startup movement started to take shape and um, become more, you know, prevalent in entrepreneurial circles. Um, But some of the things we did were anything from, you know, creating a a clickable prototype. So, you know, you know, designing a few screens and linking them together um, with hotspots and then putting that on our, on our phones. Instead of obviously like building out the full tech stack in order to make it, you know, fully functional and work um, and basically showing that to people, we employed similar, you know, testing in terms of, you know, doing that with tools like user testing or other remote testing. So like the Starbucks and the, the examples of the wedding shows in Starbucks was like in person. We took our phones and did that. Um, then we discovered tools that could help you do remote testing. So it was easier to scale beyond your like immediate network of people to do testing. And then we also just had a lot of conversations with potential users. So event planners, you know, brides, you know, people organizing events in terms of how they solved their problems of communicating with people and getting the agenda and last minute changes. And, you know, we just had a, we just, you know, got on the phone a lot too. people, whether or not we showed them specific products to try to understand um, their pain points. And, you know, we followed, you know, eventually we found something called the lean canvas. Um, and so, which is, you know, partnered with the whole lean startup approach. And that was, um, you know, a tool that we used a lot um, in terms of validating our different hypotheses, not only around the product, but also just around how people, you know, how our customers um, would, you know, pay for a service like this, you know, who they were, what was important to them what they had been doing previously to having a mobile app. Were they, you know, using paper? Were they, you know, using a website? You know, were they using Facebook? Kind of how did they, um, how did they go about connecting the people that were going to their event, et cetera? Yeah, so this is awesome. And I definitely want to link to the Lean Canvas. That's the first time I've heard of it. And I'm a huge proponent of Eric Reese's book, The Lean Startup. So I'll make sure to link to that in the show notes so everyone can go check that out. And I want to, I want to recap on some of the things you talked about because I think it's so awesome the route that you took to validate this concept uh, with usertesting.com and also doing this moderated in-person somewhat like focus group testing. And it seems like you guys put a huge emphasis on this validation before getting to the implementation and development part of it. So 
how long was this period of time that you invested into validating and user testing and doing this market research? What was that time frame like before you even got to development? I wish I could say that, you know, we did all of that and did no development first, um, <laughs> but <laughs> that was a mistake we learned the hard way. You know, for me, the real blocker of time was just in terms of between having the idea, having some early conversations and then actually like bringing it to market um, was more about just finding the right team. So it took me a while, like six months to find a co-founder. Um, and in the meantime, you know, I was working with a designer to help with the design. There was a point in time, which was, you know, kind of a mistake. And I've written about this too, where, you know, I hired a dev shop to start building something out. So I can't say the process was as clean as you just described, which is like, oh, we did all this validation. And then we, uh, then we went and built it. If I were to do it all over again, however, um, I would definitely do it the way you described. I would spend a lot more time validating it early on before going, you know, to build it. But at the time, you know, we we built some of it. We validated for, you know, usability. You know, we kind of was a hodgepodge um, at the beginning. But just from a timeline perspective, you know, I had the idea at the end of 2010 and really, I feel like the birth of the company was June 2nd, 2011, when um, I started working with my co-founder, Luke Melia. The kind of the first line of code for Yap um, was written. You know, we did a lot of, you know, we did some validation and design before that. And we did a lot of validation and testing as we were developing the product. Gotcha. So more of just the agile development method through the initial phases. Yes, exactly. Great. And, you, and you'd mentioned, I just want to recap, because I think that this is, this is huge, because you've gone through with over six years into this, and you had mentioned if you could start all over again, you would put more of an emphasis on the user testing and, and doing that market research before development. So now knowing what you know, what would that timeline look like if you could start from scratch knowing everything that you know? We could start absolutely from scratch. You know, first off, in terms of our own development of the product, we really focused really early on the creation part. So, you know, building an interface where somebody could easily like go and create an app. Um, and we, I think, didn't focus enough on what should be in that app or what's that functionality that would be useful. So if I were to start the company all over today, you know, or have the chance to travel back in time to 2011 and, and do it again, I think what I would do is I would start on the mobile side and basically tell people like, okay, let's say you magically could create this mobile app. Here you go. Would you use it? Not what, what functions would be important? What things would you absolutely have to have um, on the end user kind of mobile app functionality side? And we do a lot more of the kind of things I just talked about, which is you know, mobile prototypes and um, user testing and, you know, all, all those kinds of things before we even, you know, built a single line of code. And definitely before, you know, we invested a lot of time building the creation tool, we would have, you know, I think solved the end user problem better. You know, the, the origin of the company was we started off as, as a, what we wanted to be was a a general platform. So just like you could create all different kinds of apps, but we kind of were always pretty leaning. We were, sorry, we were always 
leaning towards kind of the event category because early on it was such a no brainer in terms of, you know, needing a mobile app. It like fulfilled not only my original use case, but it fulfilled this, you know, um, the criteria that you were by definition when you were an event, you were away from your computer and you were there to connect with people. And so those two things made always made events a you know a really interesting vertical. But when we launched and when we conceived of the company, we thought about it, you know, and even in our original pitch decks, you know, we thought about it as a general use platform. Like there'd be a ton of different use cases that we um, would solve. And I think that was the evolution of our approach and the focus on, you know, the easy creation first and then the use cases or the functionality second really stemmed from the desire to build this kind of like general platform. And so again, if I were to, you know, do it all over again with all the hindsight, um, I think we would have stuck more closely to solving a specific verticalized problem, which is, you know, what we came to, you know, towards, you know, the last few years of the company, just, you know, picking a set of users and really doing a great job for solving their needs and making their life better. So if we would have picked that vertical, um, you know, from the beginning, I think we would have approached, you know, the problem in a different way. Interesting. So to reiterate, would you say, you know, picking a couple different audience or a couple different scenarios within that audience and then lining those up to figure out what that one vertical, you know, utility value would be? Or are you saying picking a like a vertical like weddings and that audience is what you're trying to solve for? Just to be clear. What we learned was pick a user base and it, it should be as narrow as possible at the beginning um, and, and solve their problem really, really well. Um, and if you start there, then you know you can begin to broaden out to other users and other use cases, but going the opposite way you know, basically stretches your resources too thin at a time where um, you don't have that many, especially when you're um, a startup. Yeah. So yes, you know, it could be weddings. We didn't end up picking weddings. Um, we ended up picking um, professional events. So, you know, B2B type conferences for companies and um, associations and nonprofits. That was what we what we honed in on um, is where we provided the most value. But yes, we, you know, we could have picked something else, something different at the beginning. But I think the most important thing is to really solve a problem really well for a specific user and start with that. Gotcha. And even not personalizing it to each individual scenario, but even within that specific user, kind of find those core utility value adds to start with the functionality and then branch out from those learnings. Exactly. Okay, awesome. And so with this insight into the app, I kind of want to take a step back a little bit and talk about some of the differences, you know, from your background and coming from uh, Warner Brothers and being within a position, a higher position where you have the purview you know, over a brand like that scaling and, and brands now using mobile to make these changes. Granted, it was long, it was over six years ago. So I understand that. And so now wanting to talk about that transition that, that took place from being in a position like that to now where you have complete control over the company, obviously working with your, your CTO and doing that. But can you maybe talk about the transition from working within a larger organization that is trying to scale to now working in your own uh, startup to scale it? 
so, you know, there's, there's pros and cons, you know, there's things in each scenario that are, you know, easier and things that are, you know, more difficult. So, you know, when you work for a global brand like Warner Brothers that, you know, is known for Harry Potter and Looney Tunes and DC Comics and, and the like, um, everybody answers your phone call, right? Like it doesn't really matter like what you're doing, but everybody will answer your phone call no matter what. So because of the IP that, you know, over many, many, many decades and generations, your company has built you as a representative there, you know, can, you know, talk to anybody basically that you, um, that you want, um, because they want to be associated with that brand. So it was easier to like have conversations with people just generally, um, in terms of, you know, getting deals done or distribution or, you know, et cetera. The challenge, obviously, is that in a large company, um, there's just a lot of inertia and, you know, it's hard to change. Um, And when you make radical changes, you have, you know, billions of dollars at stake in terms of your existing business. So nobody really wants to change very quickly. So um, it's hard to get things done. And it's very hard to be, as we just, you know, talked about agile and, um, you know, you know, approach problems in a, in a lean way. Um, You know, when you're at a big company, it's really the opposite. You have like almost too many resources, not necessarily in terms of budget, but just in terms of who's in the room, who's, who has an opinion, who's, you know, keeping you from moving forward. What are the blockers, you know, et cetera. You know, the flip side is true when you have a startup, nobody's heard of you mostly. So you have to create your own, you know, brand and IP and, you know, prove value um, in the marketplace. A lot of people won't take your calls because they have no idea who, for example, back then, like who Yap was or who I was personally. So, you know, there's just a lot of hustle that you have to employ to really just move the ball forward. On the flip side, you know, you're, you, you don't have those kinds of blockers that you do at a big company. You don't have an existing business. There's nothing to cannibalize except for somebody else's business, maybe. Um, and so, you know, you have a green light in terms of just moving forward. And, you know, it's as fast as, you know, your own ingenuity and your resources can take you. And that's what's so alluring about a startup um, is that, you know, if you're into the risk of it all uh, and have that kind of appetite, um, it's just so much fun. Awesome. I think this is actually a great segue into this uh, next topic that I wanted to dig in with you about. We've had discussions on the show before about brands moving mobile and how using mobile as the first screen to scale their business, uh, digging in there. And so I'm really excited to switch it up a little bit and provide the perspective from scaling a mobile app uh, business. So from now the other side, and um, you know, you've created an app that's been in the works over six years now. And can you walk us through some of these initial hurdles that you encountered in getting this traction to where you are now? Um, Sure. I do want to make one slight edit um, in terms of kind of how you talk about Yap is that we're not a single mobile app. And I'll tell you why that's important in a second, right? We're a platform um, that makes apps. And, you know, in, in in a marketplace generally, where you know there are over two million apps on the iOS app store um, as well as on the Android app store. So you know I think it's really, really difficult as an aside to be a singular app um, and have a real business. And I'm gonna put gaming apps you know to the side because really those are the only some of the only native 
mobile only mobile first kind of um, experiences that do make those like lots of millions of dollars. Um, So that's just generally, you know, it wasn't necessarily a hurdle for us specifically on the app store, but is just a, a hurdle for mobile businesses is that, you know, on average, today's consumer really only opens 12 apps a day. So if you think about that, there's 12, there's 2 million um, on the app store and the average consumer opens 12. They have third and average consumer has 37 apps installed on their phone, but 80% of their time is actually spent on three apps. And all those three, you know, of those three apps in the US, one is Facebook, um, which was not a mobile first company. It is now a mobile dominant company. Um, and the other one is Instagram, which which is owned by Facebook and was, you know, was a mobile first, you know, type of company. Um, but those are like, you know, huge exceptions. And so I think a real just hurdle and challenge, you know, for developing mobile businesses is that it's just really, really competitive and the success of mobile apps is really not about the mobile app itself. It's about the service that the company or the product that the company provides generally and mobile just happens to be, you know, one facet of it, you know, just like they're also on the web, right? And some, you know, some apps or some platforms are also, you know, on your watch or they might be on your TV, depending on, you know, the type of company um, it is. So, not necessarily specific to us, but very integral to our thinking about the business, you know, back to, is it worth it to invest in developing your own app for use cases that are non, you know, non-critical um, kind of thing, because the competition and getting noticed, you know, in the app store is just so, so, so difficult. In terms of, you know, our challenges, you know, they've, definitely evolved. You know, in 2011, um, at the very beginning, there was a lot of uncertainty in terms of the gatekeepers, um, which at that point was really, you know, Apple. I mean, Apple was completely dominant. You know, Android was just starting out. There were basically no apps. And so we started with, you know, an iOS app. We, we quickly, because of where the market evolved, quickly went to Android um, as a place where our apps could live as well. But there was just a lot of risk and a lot of hurdles in terms of, you know, Apple having a say as to what kind of business we were going to run and what kind of apps we could actually create and were they, you know, kind of how were they distributed and, you know, et cetera. That even though there are now two major gatekeepers, as the as the market for apps has evolved more and, you know, now that there are like two million of them that's become less of a less of a focus. But, you know, some of the early hurdles was like, we'd spent all this time developing this platform and like our first attempt, um, we got rejected from the app store. We had no idea why. And, you know, here it was, we were supposed to launch, we were headlined up our launch press and, you know, we were definitely scrambling and it's a black box. It's like a black box over there. It's not like you're actually going to talk to somebody to help you through why you were rejected and you know what happened. So I just remember early on submitting to the app store was like such a panic. Um, and today it's just much more routine just in terms of just like the ongoing um, business. At the beginning of, um, you know, of our evolution, you know, another hurdle was like the penetration of smartphones was like 30%. 
So, you know, that in particular was a hurdle for um, events because the, the thing, the mobile app wasn't really valuable unless, you know, most of the people at your event were going to be able to access the information. You know, if not, then you're kind of live in this hybrid world where you're still doing whatever you were doing before you had your mobile app. You know, so we definitely had that challenge early on, which is like people weren't sold that the return on investment, even for our platform, which was, you know, wasn't expensive, actually, at the beginning, it was free, you know, just the investment in time and, you know, their event and, you know, et cetera, like whether that was worth it. Um, and that was also another hurdle too, is it for, for the most part, you know, people spend a lot of money on their events or a lot of time, organizational time. It could be hard dollars or it could be just soft dollars. And so they don't necessarily want to work with like a startup, you know, because they just don't know about the reputation and stuff. So that was just like a hurdle in, in overcoming and proving that we were credible and finding early adopters that said like, oh, this is really cool, even if it has some hiccups at the beginning, you know, because I want to be like that, you know, the person that is digitally savvy, you know, for my, you know, events, um, et cetera. So, you know, that's definitely a challenge at the beginning. Um, you know, th- th- there's always a challenge in every single, almost every single um, company has this, which is, you know, how are you going to acquire customers? Right, customer acquisition. And again, that's, you know, same thing from what we were talking about before, like the difference between that's what like big brands have going for them is like they have a built in customer base. You know, when you're a startup, it's like, how are you going to get customers? You don't have a lot of marketing dollars and nobody knows you. So how are you going to build word of mouth? How are you going to acquire those customers and scale? And so, you know, that's, it's a challenge for all startups and, you know, it's even a challenge for us today as we have, you know, scaled at some level, but we need to continue, you know, to grow, um, which is, you know, how do we find new channels of distribution to get, um, you know, new customers so that we can, you know, continue to grow. Yeah. And I mean, you touched on a lot of the different things that, that apps face just in general. Um, I've submitted over 50 apps to the store in the last couple of years. And I can tell you that almost every single app gets rejected that first time around just because the approval process for Apple is so restrictive. And like you mentioned, like they don't have someone that you can jump on and, and jump on the phone and talk to. It's, it's, they reject it. It takes you a week to get through and then they reject it. And then you have to go in and try and figure it out. And then you have to submit it again for a couple of days to another week to just get a yes or no. But then from there, once you're in, you know, finding these early adopters and you said that you had a 30% penetration rate. So from there, how did you, that's the problem. What steps did you take to overcome that, to get where you are now? Because having an app that's successful for over six years now, an app, excuse me, not platform. When I say app, I, I refer to it as a platform because <laughs> I think that brand, for apps anymore to be successful, it has to be a platform. It has to be um, connected to a business strategy. And like you mentioned, the app is just that first screen into that business. And so with, with your business strategy, then I guess, what did you implement that allowed you to get past that hurdle of finding these initial users? One of the things was, you know, once we saw like who were, you know, the few users that may have heard about us through press or through somebody else using us through word of mouth, 
you know, uh, especially early at the beginning, I mean, what happened was even if we had one event and that event had, you know, let's say a hundred people who attended the event, you know, there was at least like one or two people who were going to have some sort of other um, event. So, you know, that helped in terms of like the adoption curve. It wasn't viral the way that some like pure play consumer apps are like, you know, pure network, network effect companies like Instagram or Facebook or whatever, but it did help from a word of mouth perspective. And so just having a great user experience and and being easy and having great customer support and just providing a great user experience helped with that word of mouth. So our, you know, really early event organizers who may have heard about us, let's say initially through some, you know, launch press that we got or whatever, you know, would really be our champions, you know, at their event and say like, hey, look at this cool app. We used Yap, you know, um, and there would be, you know, at least a few people at the event who in turn um, would use us um, as well. So, you know, it's really fundamentally about, you know, great customer experience um, and great, you know, product experience and building that. We just tried to, you know, focus in on that um, as as much as we could. Um, And then, you know, there was the, you know, kind of what I had talked about earlier, which is we began to see pockets of users or pockets of communities where Yap really resonated. And so that, you know, in the evolution of our company, we just decided to focus on those, those types of users. So, and those types of use cases, which again, you know, narrowed in on, uh, narrowed in on events. So, you know, we may not have had as many like top line users coming in. So some of our, you know, high level stats, like the number of people who like started using um, the platform on a daily basis dropped, but the quality of those people in terms of a fit for our solution, you know, increased. Um, And so that's really how we grew our particular business, which became over time verticalized. I see. So what was your iteration schedule like then to ensure that you were continuing to optimize that experience to, you know, create create this adoption? How how frequently were you updating the app? Generally, I mean, we just like divorced from the specific evolution that I talked about. We generally have a philosophy championed by my co-founder Luke um, about you know, shipping every day. Um, And so, you know, we try to break up whatever we're working on. And this is the agile approach that you mentioned earlier um, into really small pieces so that we could continuously ship things and improve. So, you know, we're constantly iterating. Sometimes those iterations are, you know, really, really small, you know, on a daily basis, but then they, you know, add up to major functionality um, ships or, you know, major improvements. In the case of, you know, our particular evolution, there were things that we took away um, too, right? Like there right. were just things that we're as we, well, no, it's not about, it's not about like the functionality not working, you know, but as an example, when we were like a, a general more kind of, even when we were in the phase where we were like for more general events, including things like weddings, you know, we had a template library of like all kinds of designs and stuff, right? And so as we focused in and began to understand our user better, we under we began to understand that those were just a distraction for them, not useful. So we ripped those out as well. Uh, so we ripped those out and we ripped other functionality out that just didn't resonate or didn't really add to the experience. You know, we're big believers 
and just feature creep um, is actually a very dangerous thing. Um, and so, you know, what you see a lot is you see just companies um, or products or apps evolve in a marketplace where the incumbent apps um, or companies just added too many features and it became too complicated to use. And like the winners, you know, are become, you know, apps that just basically are just the basic stripped down functionality that resonates with a very specific set of users. I mean, like a beautiful example of that um, is Trello, which was just sold for over $400 million. You know, they saw, you know, the market for Jira that was like overly complicated. It was just too hot. It was too many features, you know, too hard to do. And they basically and we're Trello users, we use it, you know, every day, um, you know, they basically created something that was just super simple and easy to use that everybody could understand. So a lot of times the iteration is, you know, shipping constantly, but it's also taking features or taking chunks of functionality away so that, again, you're solving a very specific set of problems for um, your target demographic or your target users. Gotcha. And then, you know, getting past the early adoption and getting that baseline user base, how have the scaling hurdles changed over the last several years now that you've gotten so far into it? Have they, have they been kind of the same hurdles at larger scale or have they been new hurdles altogether because of the scale? I would say some of each. Um, some of them are, you know, the same hurdles is, you know, how do you continue to grow and get new users and, and have new segments of users and, you know, just resources are always a challenge. I mean, there's like so many ideas and so many things that we could be doing um, and so many problems that we could be solving for our users and so many features that we could be adding that we like all know about. So, you know, the resource challenge has changed as our scale has changed, but it's still a challenge in terms of really prioritizing the right things rather than just trying to like do, you know, everything um, all at once. So but that prioritization is hard and continues to be hard, um, you know, maybe not as hard as it was at the beginning, because again, we have more data, we have more information, we have more users, you know, etc. So I, that's a similar problem. I think that, you know, that's, you know, a problem for a lot or a challenge, not really a problem. It's, 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 a, it's a thing that constantly is on a top of a company's mind, which is what are the things that we should focus on as a company that have the most impact, you know, regardless of resources, but in resource, you know, in a resource constrained environment, that challenge obviously is um, even more real. You know, scaling customer acquisition again, like when you're trying to grow off a bigger base, you know, you have to find more and more um, places to acquire customers. Um, so, you know, different challenges, definitely, but, you know, same, you know, same type of, uh, of challenge in terms of, you know, how do you grow your customer base? And so with this evolution of Yap, can you share some of your vision with us, the, the roadmap or, or some new technology or features that you're excited about? So. As we kind of understand our users more and more, um, you know, one of the things we're excited about is just continuing to make it even easier and quicker for them to get the type of functionality that they want, you know, to and be able to to push these apps out to their um, attendees. And so, you know, we've um, come up with a set of, you know, verticalized use case templates 
that we're working on that's going to make it even easier for um, people to just, you know, go and have an app that they're ready to show their boss, you know, in a very quick amount of time. So, I mean, we're excited about that. We're generally excited about where the market, you know, has moved. I mean, we like to think of ourselves as like almost, you know, the, I will say like the last mile um, for app creation. In that, you know, when we first started out, I think people questioned whether mobile apps were even going to be a thing, whether they were like a temporary thing because, you know, websites were just mobile websites were just going to get better, um, which has happened. But, you know, in, it's hard to argue that um, mobile apps aren't a humongous market. Um, and so, you know, generally what we're, um, you know, excited about is, you know, that distribution that it's just, it's become easier to sell for us because we don't have, we used to have to sell that like, oh yes, like you should have a mobile app and here's why. I think our market understands that they need a mobile app. And so we're now kind of reaching this like last mile in terms of, you know, users who are, you know, definitely not tech savvy and like, you know, understand though, however, because they own a smartphone, because, you know, 80% of um, the US population owns a smartphone today, you know, that they do need that mobile app. So we're excited about reaching and finding ways to reach like what we call, you know, the last mile. Um, And, you know, we're, I think, excited about extending, you know, our distribution, you know, of Yap through, uh, through different channels. And can you maybe share with us, Maria, what the experience is like and and who the ideal audience is for Yap? So in terms of the ideal audience, it's basically anybody who's planning a professional type of event. So it could be your, if you work at an association or nonprofit, it could be your annual meeting, it could be your quarterly board review could be your leadership retreat, et cetera. Um, if you work at um, a company, it could be any of those things, but it can also be your internal training, um, your onboarding new employees, and a lot of um, individuals at corporations also use it for team communication. So, um, you know, you have colleagues, let's say, um, that you want to share best practices with, documents, you want to do it, you know, on a mobile device, you know, et cetera. So, you know, basically it's anybody who works uh, any type of organization um, who is not necessarily tech savvy or in a tech role, um, but could be. I mean, we have, we do actually have people who are in tech roles who do use Yap. You know, but the main thing is they're planning some sort of event or want to communicate with people um, on mobile um, and be able to you know collaborate and connect with each other. Um, and so the process is is really simple. You go to yap.us and we you know offer a free trial um, and you can choose from a variety of um, page templates and basically build an app. Um, it's very easy to add your content and your data and there's functionality like you know schedules, you know people, so your um, event attendees or your event speakers or your team. We've got maps you know, directions, push notifications, you know, et cetera, everything that you would expect. You were going to an event as an example, like that you would know who was talking at the event, who was at the event, what the schedule was. You want to connect with the people. um, You want to be able to message them, share photos, you know, et cetera. And so you basically create your app um, and you, and you publish it. And the, that's really the process. It's as easy as that. Yeah, and I've actually gone through and had a chance to look at the app and go through the experience. And it is really 
a nice user interface and, and it is a very simple experience and clean design. So I definitely recommend checking that out. And Maria, I'd like to use the the last couple minutes here before jumping into the rapid fire to allow you to talk about some of the coolest things that you're working on right now. And I, do, I know you just mentioned you're excited for the scenario templates that you're coming out with, but is there anything else that, that you'd like to share that you want people to check out? I mean, I would say we're just, we're adding functionality constantly and, you know, we're adding new, new page templates. We're adding new, you know, new types of ways to improve your event. Um, and so, you know, it's, you just, just check us out at yap.us. All right, there it is. Yap.us, Y-A-P-P.us. Also make sure to tune in this Friday to our Rapid Fire Friday round where Maria will be sharing some of her most valuable resources. So Maria, thanks for joining us today. It was a pleasure to have you on and I really appreciate taking the time to, to chat with us. Thanks for having me, Jordan. Thank you for listening in. Join us next week for a conversation with Robert Moore, founder and CEO at WorkFrame. And I'm always happy to be a resource in any way that I can. So visit EmergeMobileFirst.com to reach out to me directly or for additional insights, resources, and bonus tools that can help catapult your organization to the next level. Until next time, think mobile first.